Well, uh, today is December 29th, and you guys know what that means, right? It means that you have two and a half days left to indulge in all of your bad habits, right? Before the ball drops and the clock strikes 12 and all of your New Year's resolutions kick into action, right? So I hope you're enjoying this season. Um, Do we have any New Year's resolutions people in the house? Is anyone setting a New Year's resolution this year? Uh, It's it's, it's a safe place. You can admit it. No, that is one person less than we had. Okay, half a person, half a person. So that's half a person less than we had uh, in in the first service. Um, This tradition that we have in our culture of setting New Year's resolutions is actually nothing new. I learned this this week. This, This practice of setting New Year's resolutions is actually something that's been going on for a very long time. We have historical evidence that 4,000 years ago, ancient Babylonian civilizations were setting New Year's resolutions. Isn't that incredible? And I think that the reason that this has been going on so long is because as human beings, even if you're you're not a New Year's resolution person, as human beings, we all kind of love this idea of a new beginning. And we all love the idea of having an opportunity to kind of start fresh and to change and to become the kinds of people that we want to be. And the beginning of of a new year, in a lot of ways, it feels like a blank slate. It feels like a new opportunity to do things different, to make some changes, and to do things better. And yet... We all know when it comes to actually sticking with the resolutions that we make that statistics are pretty bleak, right? This is probably why none of you in this room, aside from half of a person, are making a resolution this year, right? The statistics are pretty bleak. Research shows that somewhere around a whopping 8% of people uh, follow through with their resolutions in the long term. 8%. Right? And of that 8%, probably a good chunk of those people are liars. <laughs> Just a guess. Right? When it comes down to it, we all want to be better versions of ourselves. Right? We want to be healthy. We want to be fit. We want to be productive. We want to be financially uh, responsible. But we don't really want to change. Right? Like We don't want to change the way we're living. We don't want to change the way we're spending our time. Because change is hard, right? Change is uncomfortable. Change takes a lot of work. My dad has a, an expression he says to me all the time. He thinks it's hilarious. Um, he says, you know, to me, I have no problem with change. I love change as long as it doesn't impact me. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of us can, can kind of relate to that. Change is difficult. But here's the reality, okay? Regardless of whether you like change or not, We are living in a world where everything is always changing. There's a quote by an ancient philosopher named Heraclitus, and uh, we are expecting some babies this year, so if you're thinking about baby names, I definitely would recommend that Heraclitus makes the list. It's a good option. So Heraclitus said this. He said, no man ever steps into the same river twice, for it's not the same river, and he's not the same man. He's right. He's right. You could go down to the Lynn River, stand in the same place every day, and the water that's running through your feet would be different. It's constantly moving. It's constantly changing. 
You might see a shopping cart. You might see the same shopping cart there stuck in the dirt, right? But even that, even the molecules in that shopping cart are constantly shifting around. And you're going to be different too, right? Because every day we have experiences, we engage with other people, we face different situations, and all of these things change us. Everything is always changing. This is how God designed the world. And so the question isn't actually whether we want to change or not, right? That's not the question. It's not an option. The question is, what is it that's setting our direction as we go about our everyday life? What are we doing with these moments of opportunity that God gives us every day? And if you have your Bible, uh, you can open up with me to Romans 12 verses 1 to 2. Um, This is a passage that we touched on last week, but we're going to come back to it this morning. Because in this passage, Paul is talking about change. He's talking about transformation. And if you zoom out and you kind of look what he's saying within the broader context of the book of Romans, it provides a lot of clarity about the kind of change that we're called to as followers of Christ. Okay, so Romans 12 verses 1 to 2, I'm going to read from the NIV this morning. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right. So leading up to this point in the book of Romans, Paul's been walking his readers through the basics of the gospel. Okay, so he said, regardless of your background, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, everybody is separated from God because of sin. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, everyone is offered forgiveness. Everyone is offered reconciliation with God and new life in the spirit. That's in a a nutshell. Okay, this is what Paul has been kind of working through throughout the, the book of Romans. And so here in our passage this morning, Paul says, in light of this gospel, that we're called to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Okay, now when we hear the word sacrifice, we probably hear it in a little bit of a different way than than Paul's listeners would have heard it um, in the time this was written. When we hear about sacrifice, we tend to think about making a sacrifice uh, by giving up some money or by giving up some of our time. But anyone who was hearing this in Paul's time when this was written would have immediately thought of the sacrificial system that was used in the Jewish temple. Okay, where animals were sacrificed to atone for people's sin. It was a central piece of how the Jewish people uh, worshipped God and interacted with God on a regular basis. So this is what would have come to mind for the people who were reading this letter. And so what Paul is saying is that we're in a position now where Jesus has already made the ultimate sacrifice. He's already put us in a position where things are right uh, between us and God and, and things are settled once and for all. And so he's not looking for like a one-time sacrifice from us, right? What he's looking for is us. He wants us to live as a living sacrifice. He wants us to worship him with our lives, right? I love how this is translated in, in the message. This verse is translated this way. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Use your life 
as a sacrifice to God. That's what he's saying. It's very practical. And then in verse 2, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Paul gives us this contrast, right? Either we're conformed or we're transformed. Okay, and both these words, conform or, or, and transform, they're given in the continual present sense. Right? So what he's saying is that either we're continuously being conformed to the patterns of the world, or we're continuously being transformed to people who more accurately reflect Jesus to the world. It's a continual process in either direction. That's what he's saying. So this process of change that we're called to is actually central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Right? But the way that we think about change in our world and the way that scripture talks about change are actually pretty different. When we think about change, when we uh, make a decision that we, we want to make some changes in our lives, the way that we tend to navigate that is we, uh, we try to work up some motivation, right? Maybe you listen to like some podcasts or to some YouTube videos and you try to get yourself amped up and motivated and we come up with a plan. Maybe we get like an accountability partner set up if you're really serious about it. Maybe you download like an accountability app on your phone, right? And then we give it all we've got for like a week, right, until, until we fail and then we give up. That's how we kind of tend to handle trying to make changes in our lives. Um, the other thing that Christians sometimes do is we try to uh, protect ourselves from the world by um, isolating ourselves in a kind of a Christian bubble, right? We think, well, you know, maybe if we hide out uh, and, and don't interact with culture that we won't be conformed to the world, right? Unfortunately, that doesn't go so well. Paul doesn't call us to hide out. That's not what he calls us to do here. And he doesn't give us an easy formula that we can just follow in order to get ourselves in shape. Like what he does is he invites us into a restored relationship with God. That's what he's been building up to up to this point in the book of Romans. He invites us to this relationship with God through Christ. And it's in the context of this relationship that we experience transformation that we experience change. True change comes as we grow in our love for God, right? And yet there is a call to action here, right? There's a call to intentionality as we live out our faith. There's an invitation to actually engage in this relationship and to actually let God do what God wants to do in us. And so this morning, I'm not going to offer you like a three-step plan to become a, a, a rock star Christian in this upcoming year. And I'm not going to tell you how to like live your best life in 2020. Okay, so if that's what you were hoping for this morning, you can uh, stop by the Info Hub on your way out and they'll give you like a, a refund. Um, okay, instead, what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to talk about a few practices that we can do and that scripture calls us to do in order to open ourselves up to the transformation that God wants to do inside of us. Okay, God is the one who changes us as we open ourselves up and let him do it, let his spirit work. So the first practice we're gonna look at is this, check your foundation. Check your foundation. Where is it that you're finding your identity? Where is it that you're finding your value? And where is it that you're finding your purpose? The way that we answer that question 
will shape the way that we see everything. It'll shape the way that we interact with other people. It'll shape the way that we make all of our decisions. These core beliefs about who we are and about what we're called to live for actually kind of act as a foundation that we build our lives on. Paul talks about transformation as dying to self and being raised with Christ. He talks about it as uh, being transitioning from a life of slavery into a life of freedom. He talks about it as being adopted into God's family and living as God's children. He makes it really clear again and again that Jesus isn't just giving us a few hot tips that we can kind of add to our lives, right? We can't just squeeze them into our lives and keep doing things in the way that we were before. Paul talks about a radical break from the past and a whole new way of living. In Matthew chapter 19, there's a story about uh, a young man who was rich, right? You might be familiar with it. This, this guy comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, what do I need to do in order to have eternal life? And Jesus tells him to obey the commandments. You know, he says, uh, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, love your neighbor as yourself, all of these things that, uh, that he probably expected to hear. And so the guy says, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm already doing all that. I got that down, right? What else? What else do I need to do? So Jesus says to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And what does the guy do? He walks away, right? He walks away sad, the Bible tells us. He couldn't let go of his stuff. His financial success had become the foundation that he was building his life on. He was okay with a faith that just really called him to follow some rules. He was okay with following rules. But when it came time for him to give up his wealth and follow Jesus... He couldn't do it. He was clinging too tightly to it. And in our culture, it is really easy for us to build our lives on this same foundation, right? The the foundation of financial success. And we can do it whether we have a lot of money or whether we have no money, right? The, The difference is what kind of priority and attention we give it in our lives. But for a lot of us, money can become our security, Right? We can, we can uh, feel like money gives us a sense of having status in our world. And, and there's nothing intrinsically wrong with money. Money isn't evil, but, but it so easily for us can become an idol. Right? And when it becomes an idol in our lives, it gets in the way of our relationships, gets in the way of living into our purpose, and really it's, it makes it so that we're not able to be generous like God calls us to be. It makes a really bad foundation to build our lives on. Some of us find our value in our careers, right? Our careers shape our entire identity. Like we can't even imagine who we would be without them. Some of us find our value in getting other people's approval. And so we're desperately uh, trying to seek validation from people as we interact with them, right? And it makes it really hard for us to just be ourselves and love others. Because suddenly we're reducing other people into categories of they're either our fans or our critics, right? It's hard to be in relationship when that's what we're doing. 
Some of us find our value in being in really important roles, maybe volunteer roles, right? Some of us find our value in being the kinds of people who are always in control. This, this shows up in so many different ways in our lives, but this is the truth, okay? The only foundation that's worth building our lives on is Jesus Christ. Right? Our value is found in Christ. Our identity is found in Christ. Our purpose is found in Christ. There is so much freedom when we really actually get this. Okay, because suddenly it doesn't feel like there's all that much at stake anymore. Right? We can just be ourselves and do our best without worrying that the world is going to fall apart if we make a wrong step. You can fail. You can fail. Isn't that liberating? It's amazing. You can fail. You can uh, get laid off at work. You can post a picture on Instagram that gets zero likes. You can say the wrong thing. You can be really awkward in a social situation. You can wear shoes that don't go with your outfit. And you are still loved perfectly by God. Having God's love as our foundation puts everything else into perspective in our lives. And we all get this wrong at times, but every moment is a new opportunity to get ourselves back onto that firm foundation, onto the foundation that is worth building our lives on. So that's the first practice. The, the, the second one is this, fix your attention. Fix your attention. Paul calls us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. He doesn't just want to change the way we act. He wants to change the way that we look at the world. God wants to change the way that we think. If you have ever been a college or university student, you might be able to relate to the summer job struggle. Okay, this was a, this was a challenge for me. So finding a summer job can be a challenge for students because unless a workplace has specific funding to hire students in the summer, nobody really wants to hire anyone for four months, right? So it can be a challenge. And the first couple of years that I was in university, I struggled with finding a summer job. And this was a problem for me, okay, because I wasn't bringing in enough OSAP to cover my Starbucks addiction. Okay, I was from small town, moved to the city, first taste of Starbucks, and it did me in. Okay, so I, I needed to make some money to con continue to fund this addiction. And so eventually I went to Brantford and I, I signed up with a temp agency. I'd never heard of temp agencies before, but I heard, heard about them and I was like, oh, that's amazing. I could get work like right away. So I went and they had a job for me that same day that I walked into the office. Uh, like they gave me three weeks, three weeks of full-time employment as a crack specialist. Okay, and uh, that wasn't the official job title, um, but that's what I called myself. Because this was the gig, okay. For eight hours a day, I scrolled through images of roads on a computer screen. Literally, okay, there was like a camera that was at the bottom of the vehicle and it went along, it took pictures of the roads, there was a camera that looked at the front and so I scrolled through these images for, for an entire shift for eight hours a day and I marked the cracks. That was the gig. Eight hours a day, okay, all of my focus, all of my attention was fixed on the cracks in roads. And you know what happened? The way I saw the world changed. All I could see after I started this job 
was cracks in roads. Okay, I don't think I'd ever noticed a crack in a road before I started working at this place. Not a single crack, but all of a sudden, I couldn't drive anywhere without being keenly aware of the amount and severity of the cracking on the roads. I'd be like driving with a friend. We'd be in the middle of an important conversation. I'd be like, whoa, 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 hold up. Are you seeing this alligator cracking? That's like really bad. You know, they'd be like, I just told you I broke up with my boyfriend. And I'm like, well, the cracking's really bad. The cracks became the lens through which I came to see the world. And this is the reality of how our brains work. The things that we focus on, the things that kind of take up our brain space, shape the way we see the world. And ultimately, the way that we interact with others and make decisions and just go about living our lives. One of the most tragic mistakes the Western church has made in the last hundred years is reducing the gospel down to something so small that it only impacts whether we go to heaven or hell when we die. That is like a sliver of the gospel. In scripture, the gospel changes everything. The gospel impacts everything. And so as followers of Christ... This is the lens through which we start to see the world as the Spirit transforms us. The gospel uh, changes the way we think about ourselves. This goes back to that foundation stuff. And so if you spend all your time thinking about how much of a loser you are, stop, stop it. Okay, the gospel has something to say about that. If you spend all of your time thinking about how much better you are than everyone else, you know, cut it out. The gospel has something to say about that too. It changes the way we think about ourselves. It changes the way we see others. Uh, when, when the gospel really kind of became real to me, I was a teenager and I was working at a drugstore downtown as a cashier. And it was really kind of a cool high school job because there was such a broad range of personalities that came through that place every day. I would cash out people who were rich and people who were poor. I would cash out uh, people who were well and people who were unwell and people who smelled really good and people who didn't smell as awesome. Right? All kinds of people I interacted with on a regular basis. So I, I really liked it. And I remember uh, when, when the gospel became real to me, I was just so blown away by this reality that I started thinking about it every time I cashed someone through. And I wasn't trying to be spiritual or like theological or anything, but I just started thinking about the reality that this person before me was a child of God. And it changed the way I started to think about people, right? Because they were loved by God. And you guys know how this works, right? When your kids smell, like you guys have kids, right? You know, they, they smell sometimes, right? When your kids smell, you don't stop loving them. Right? You just hope that they have a shower. You just try to get them in the shower, you know? When your kids make bad decisions, you don't stop loving them, right? You just want them to become the people that you know that they really are. It changes the way we see people. It's a whole lot harder to judge people or to write people off when we're constantly thinking about how they fit into this gospel story that's shaping our lives. And the gospel says that the people we interact with every day, the people that we love and the people that we don't love, they're all dearly loved children of God. So it changes everything. 
And when our attention's fixed on Christ, it changes the way that we see the situations that we uh, face on a day-to-day basis, right? Because we know that God is present and we know that God is active. This is what we've been talking about throughout Advent. So suddenly, every situation that we face is filled with opportunity, right? Even the darkest situations, you know, we know that, that they're filled with hope, that God is still at work. And so it changes the way that we just live and act as we go about our normal everyday lives. So what is it that's been taking up your brain space? What have you been thinking about? What tracks have been running through your mind? When we put our focus on Christ, everything else is just put in its proper perspective. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about it this way. He talks about it as taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. Isn't that powerful? We're all going to struggle. Like we're all going to have thoughts that we know aren't, aren't healthy, aren't positive. But Paul says, just take them captive. Line them up with the gospel. Make them obedient to Christ. The gospel changes the way we think about everything. And God doesn't just want to change the way that we think. He also wants to change the way that we live. And so the third practice is this. Put it in motion. Do something, right? Put it in motion. Here's the deal. One of the most common New Year's resolutions, according to research, is to get in shape, right? You've been there. I've been there. This is one of the most common things we do. We start a new year. We're like, this is going to be the year, right? I'm going to get fit. I'm going to go to the gym. Gym memberships sell like hotcakes as, as uh, January goes into action. And uh, I'm no physical trainer, right? I'm not a fitness expert, but I can tell you this. It is possible for you to go to the gym every single day and to never improve in your physical fitness. It's possible. So if you go to the gym and you take with you like a bag of cheesies and you set yourself up in your sweatpants and your like sweat headband, you know, on the recumbent bike, if you're going to do this, I recommend the recumbent bike. It's pretty comfortable. So you set yourself up and you just watch TV for an hour every day without doing any pedaling. You will make no progress in your physical fitness, right? Because in order for our muscles to grow... We actually have to use them. That's how fitness works. I know, it's disappointing. But it's true. And our faith is like a muscle. It grows when we use it. It grows when we actually live this stuff out, when we take risks, when we get out of our comfort zone, when we ask God what he wants us to do, and then step out in obedience. And we don't do this stuff to earn God's favor. We have God's favor. That's settled. But we do it to take God up on his invitation to be part of what he's doing in the world. This is what faith looks like when it's lived out. When I was in, uh, when I graduated from high school, I did a discipleship program. And the first week that we were there, uh, they brought in a pastor to come and speak to us for, uh, for the week about idols. And so he helped us kind of see what in our lives was getting in the way of really surrendering our lives to Jesus. And, uh, and so he got everyone sharing and he got everyone crying, you know, as, as this is like the prerequisite for the first week of a discipleship program. That's what they want the pastor to do, get everyone crying. So everyone's, everyone's uh, just shared their deepest, darkest secrets. And then he paused the conversation and I'll never forget what he said. 
He said, if you guys want to follow Jesus, if you guys really want to do this thing, you're going to have to fight for your lives against apathy. You're going to have to fight for your lives against apathy. And he was right. He was right. We live in a world, in a culture where we're pretty comfortable. We're pretty busy. Right? Got all the time in the world to binge watch Netflix. Right? But when it comes time to pray, when it comes time to serve, when it comes time to help, you know, suddenly we feel tired. Suddenly we're busy. Right? It's really easy for us to become kind of apathetic and indifferent to what God is up to. But the invitation is to be a part of what he's doing in his kingdom. And in our passage, Paul talks about being transformed so that we can know what God's will is and then do it. And then throughout the rest of Romans 12 and actually through uh, to chapter 15, he paints a picture of what it looks like when we actually put this stuff into practice. So we don't have time uh, to read the whole section, obviously, this morning, but I'd encourage you to read it over this week, especially Romans 12 specifically. And if you have the message translation of the Bible, um, read it in that. That's, it's probably one of my favorite sections of scripture. And I know I say that often, uh, but I really mean it. Uh, it's, it's really beautiful. But we're just going to uh, go through a quick overview of what Paul says in this section. Okay, so he calls us to be humble. He calls us to figure out who, who God made us to be, what we're passionate about, what he's gifted us with, and then to use our gifts to serve other people. He talks about loving people uh, with sincerity. Right? He doesn't want us to just put on a face and, and, and pretend. He wants us to genuinely love other people. He calls us to stay passionate about our faith, to pray when things get hard, to help people in need, to be hospitable. He calls us to love our enemies and to overcome evil with good. Essentially, what Paul is calling us to do in this section of scripture is to take Jesus' teachings and to put them into practice in the context of community. And what does that look like? It looks like becoming the kind of people who put love into action put love into action. I thought I had come up with that, and then I opened my Bible, and that's actually like the header of this section in the NIV translation of the Bible. Uh, but I, so I can't take credit for it, but it's a really good title because that's what the call is. Be love in action. Be love in action. So there they are. Okay, three practices that can help us to stay open to the kind of transformation that God wants to do in our lives. Check your foundation fix your attention, put it in motion. You are totally welcome to make whatever New Year's resolutions you want to make this year, judging by the response uh, that you gave me earlier. None of you are going to be making any, um, and that's okay. But you know, I love, I love a workout challenge and smart goals as much as anyone. Um, but the word resolution, it really comes from this word resolve. It comes from this word resolve. And to have resolve means to have determination, Right? It means to be committed to something. So whatever you resolve to do this year, resolve to do this. Resolve to draw closer to Jesus and to let him transform you. Awesome. Nailed it. Draw closer to Jesus and let him transform you. He's already present to you. Right? Be present to him. I'm going to invite the worship team uh, to come on up to the front. And I'm going to close with a passage from 2 Corinthians 
And, uh, and then we're going to actually just take a, a couple of minutes to pray and to reflect on what God is calling us to move into as we head into this new year. So I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 18. Um, I'm going to read from the message translation. Our firm decision is to work from this focus center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, a new life burgeons. Look at it. All this comes from God, who settled the relationship between us and him, and then called us to settle the relation, our relationships with each other. So here's the deal. Hey, whether you are a New Year's resolution person or not, we're about to head into a brand new year. And as we're all kind of thinking about change and new beginnings, this is a great time to reflect on what God might be calling us to let go of and leave behind in our lives and what God might be inviting us into. And so we're just going to take a couple of minutes to quietly pray and to reflect on that, on how God is speaking to each of us in our own lives. And we're going to do a really simple practice um, as we do it, okay? So I'm, I promise this isn't going to be scary or awkward. Um, take your hands and put them like this. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You can do this. So now you can take, put them on your knees or your lap or whatever. And now turn them around. Play, put your palms up. Yeah, awesome. So these, these are just some, uh, some postures that we're going to do as we pray um, and just hand some things over to God and open ourselves up to what God wants to do with us. So let's pray, and then we'll go into this practice together. God, we're so thankful that you are a God of new beginnings and that your, your new beginnings never ends, God, because you're a God of grace. And so as we come to you this morning, um, we do it knowing that there's, there's things in our lives that we've got wrong. There's ways that we've um, built our lives on faulty foundations, ways that our, our mind has been uh, thinking about things that aren't, aren't true. There's times where we've become apathetic, and God, we just want to um, lay that all before you and step out into what you're calling us into this year. And so now I'm just going to invite you to, to place your palms down. And to take a minute to ask God um, what it is that he's inviting you to leave behind. And to just hand that over to him. Maybe you've been building your identity on the wrong foundation. Maybe you've been getting your value somewhere other than Christ. Just give that over to him. Maybe your thoughts have been consumed with worry or judgment or negativity. Maybe apathy's kind of taken over. You haven't been putting your faith into action. His grace never ends. So just hand it over to him and know that uh, he receives it. And then I'm going to invite you to turn your hands upwards as a symbol of receiving from God. And just ask God what he's inviting you into in this coming year. Maybe he's inviting you to experience his freedom in a new way. 
Maybe he's inviting you to experience his peace, his hope, his joy. Maybe he's inviting you into a deeper awareness of his presence. Just take a moment and open yourself up to receive God's blessings. Now I'm just going to invite you to just take a moment and ask God if there's any practical changes that you need to make in your life in order to draw closer to him. What's it going to look like for you to exercise that faith muscle? What will it look like for you to live this out in real life? The great thing about God is that his mercies aren't new every year, they're new every morning. And so as you go about your day-to-day life in a week, in three weeks, in a month, when you get things wrong, he just invites you right back to the truth of his gospel. Let's just pray. God, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for this incredible life that you invite us into. We're so thankful that transformation happens in this amazing, beautiful relationship that we get to have with you. God, our perfect Father, our King. God, help us be people who live this out and show the world who you are. We love you. Amen.